0: Hi, this is Marcy McNeil, producer of the Next in Ed podcast. If you have a topic you think we should discuss, or someone you think we should interview, or if you would just like to give us some feedback, you can email us at nextinedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us through Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And now, we hope you enjoy the following episode.
1: Welcome to Next in Ed. I'm Joe. And I'm Julie. Julie, how's it going?
0: It, I'm, it's going very well, thank you.
1: So, what's been on your mind lately? Well,
0: lately I've been thinking that I really miss, you know, there's a lot of things we miss because of the pandemic. And True. one of the things I, I really miss is traveling. I, I, I really miss traveling. And I miss traveling through my profession because most of my travel actually was through my profession, is right. through teaching. That's right. And uh, I miss going to conferences to Boston or Chicago or to Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it was
1: that. <laughs> I mean, it was like this that time was, last so year, you and I had just gotten back yes, from, from Dubai.
0: Yes, every every memory in my social media is popping up our trip to Dubai. And it was just so, uh, it's just gets, it gets inside you, you know. You just want to go back and, and learn more and experience more. And uh, I, I just miss it.
1: I I do, too, and i had been working on some research with some colleagues of mine, and we submitted a proposal to a a pretty big conference, and Mm -hmm. not really thinking there was a shot that we would get accepted to present, and lo and behold, we got accepted, but it's a virtual conference. It's a virtual conference, and it's just not the
0: same, and and, and I'm really going to go ahead and plug the Alabama Science Teachers Association conference is coming up, and it's going to be virtual, and it's going to be great.
1: Oh sure, it but will.
0: it's and it's just not. It's, it's just we're having to adjust to it's just not to new, I always felt like those were great opportunities.
1: I don't want to say a new normal because I'm hoping it's not going to be. Yeah, normal, me too. But me too. It's just a new I reality. Mean, right certainly, now.
0: certainly, some great opportunities to have zooms. You know, getting to meet with people conveniently. Right. But sometimes you just want to go places. Get on a plane. That's right. Go away. And speaking, speaking of going places, like a lot of have you been to a lot of places locally? Like, do you go? Do you do little staycations? Because a lot of people are doing that now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we travel some to do, do a little camping and, yeah. and that kind of thing. You
0: ever, you ever just thought about going to maybe Chatham, Alabama?
1: Chatham, Alabama. Yeah, Chatham. sounds very nice. I, Great idea. I have no doubt. I have <laughs> driven through Chatham. <laughs> I'm sure I'm you did. I'm not sure that I've. And I bet I've you missed any. it at <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: the stop sign. Well, it, it's a little north of Mobile, but uh, our illustrious guest today is from Chatham, Alabama.
1: He sure is. And we are, I, I feel really privileged to have him in the studio today. We have with us Dr. Larry Turner. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the program.
0: Yeah, Welcome to Next in Ed. So I, before we get started, I'd love, I can't wait to hear his story because I read a little oh, yeah. background on it and it was wow, a lot. And, but I, I'm curious at how the two of you met. How did he come to be on Next in Ed?
1: Yeah, because so many of our guests uh, come through Julie, so it's nice for me Not to actually have Not necessarily, Joe. I'm just <laughs> picking so it. silly. So I, I was asked. Uh,
0: I just know you always have a story.
1: I always have a story. I, I was asked a year or so ago by a, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Rowan, who is at Spring Hill College, and she is the president of the Literacy Coalition of South Alabama. It's a, a small organization that does some really good work for for students and and also for adults is also part of it too, uh, adult literacy. And uh, one of the big things they try to do every year is pick a school, raise the money, and, and help every first grader at that school start their own library at home. So each child will get a bundle of books to take home and, oh, and begin yeah. their own personal library. So it's, it's a really neat organization, and every meeting I have attended, uh, Dr. Turner has been there, Larry has been there, and every time I go, he is always telling these amazing stories, and I started getting just little hints of what he has done in the past, and I didn't really know a lot about him, but at every meeting, I'm like, wait a minute, he did this, he did that, he did th-. and I finally was like, I have got to ask him to be on the program, yeah. and 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 so then, as part of the program, right? He had he sent us his curriculum vita, uh-huh. his resume, to give us some background information, <laughs> yeah. and just so those of you know, it's like five pages yeah, long. Yeah, I didn't finish it is, on my planning time. It I didn't. Unbelievable! <laughs> I can't a lot. I can't wait to dig in. <laughs> it was it, a lot so. to, to to
0: to unpack, and I
1: love your stories too. You're you're a great storyteller. So, oh, well, so thank welcome you for, to the
0: show. Thank you, thank you.
1: So if if you don't mind, let's back up. I, and let's dig into this. Let's let's hear your story. How what made you want to get into education, and then take us from there?
2: Well, I have to definitely say, from listening at you two, I. I got out of education. I retired much too quick because you were on trips to Dubai. (laughs) I I was thinking I probably made a a trip to uh, Bessemer. That probably was as far away as we got in some of our meetings back in the day when I was a principal and worked at Montgomery with the principals and superintendents organization. Uh, I'm the youngest of seven sons. Grew up in the country of rural Washington County outside of Chatham, Alabama. That was home. Uh, my older brothers. I have a, my oldest brother. He was already graduated back teaching before I was even born, hardly. Right. So you know, but several of my brothers all went to to, to te- become teachers. All ta- all everyone but one of us had a degree, and we laugh and say that one probably made more money than any of us. Right. But, but anyway, <laughs> they all taught at least one year. Dad sent me to college to be a lawyer. He said by the time you would get back here and finish, there wouldn't there won't be any attorneys left in Chatham, they'll all be retired. He was right, but I didn't go to law school. <laughs> but I guess I went with that intention and did sort of finish in a pre-law curriculum. But I guess as the old guys used to say, I got that chalk dust. You know, they used to lean against the chalk rail and would get that line across. I got that chalk dust line on me, and I could never wash it out. And so I realized after about the second year at school that I need to be a teacher. And so that's how it all came about. And the twist, I guess at my age, looking back now in in life, you wonder roads that you took, how it would have been different for you, your whole career would have been So different if you had gone another road. Mm -hmm. And I remember when it was time for me to graduate, University of Alabama, and someone had told me, you need to apply to University Military School in Mobile. And I did. Thought I had a job, but it didn't work out that way. And long story short of it, my very first teaching position was across state, <clears throat> at Opelika High School, mm-hmm. and you could almost see Auburn from <laughs> mm-hmm. there I was in Alabama. In Grand the plains. In the mm-hmm. land of Auburn. But it turned <laughs> out to be a wonderful opportunity because Opelika had money. They had knew everything. <laughs> and uh, even Lionel Richie had had sung and performed at their prom a year before. Oh, wow. I was just starting out in, <clears throat> down in Tuskegee. But but anyway, that was a grand experience, and a part of Alabama I had not lived at that time was right. over in the Opelika area.
0: And just to reference, uh, he's a student of the University of Alabama. So that was kind of tough for you to go out to the plains, huh? Well, no, I'm it just was. <laughs> it, well, it really was.
2: Because, but what was so funny is the uh, the superintendent then, Dr. Clyde Zena, was an Alabama graduate. And he was often accused of hiring Alabama people if there was any way in the world. And there was a handful (laughs) of us at Opelika, but obviously most were Auburn graduates or Troy or that sort of thing. But it was a grand experience there because they did things the way it should be done. They were completely student-focused. And it really put me on a great starting point in education because I, I saw quickly this is what education's about, it's the kid. And that was the focus in Opelika. So I've always been very thankful that that was my first teaching stop along the way. I was there four or five years, and it was a great experience.
0: Just to to lay a good foundation.
2: Absolutely. And and I would tell kids when I taught a few years back, when I taught at South Alabama for a while, and then taught at the University of Mobile, and and was able to work with folks, in my case, that wanted to be high school teachers. But I would tell them, you're going to get the curriculum. You're going to get what the state says you're supposed to get, but you're going to get a few Larryisms along the way. (laughs) And I would tell them, and they would look at me like, this man's lost his mind. But I'd say, guys, when you're out applying for a job and you're interviewing, you need to be interviewing because you don't want just the first job you're offered, possibly not. You want to find out where you're going to see if there is a mix for you, because you'll be able to quickly pick up, if this school is kind of like me, I'll fit in here. Because I said, I've seen teachers that tried to force their way into a school, it did not have their philosophy, and it was really a miserable year. Yeah. And and so you want to find that match for you. And I do think that's an important, and I would say, and even if you get in a school and you're not happy, you look around Find a school that you think you would be happy in and fit in with that faculty, that administration, community, and get a transfer or try to get a job there the next right, year. Right, right. Because sometimes
0: people just have to get their foot in the door just a- to get in. Absolutely. And then they can they can do that. So what happened after Op- Opelika? There was well, a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's interesting. I um, um I, t- I taught there and then my mom was getting older back in Washington County. And so I, I came back to Washington County, taught a year or so there, and then decided I, I went into teaching, thinking I did a master's before I ever left the University of Alabama. It was a bizarre. Life, I didn't plan it this way, and and, but I just sort of looked into it, but I did a bachelor's and a master's in four years. So before I went to Opelika, I already had my master's in secondary education. Well, back in those days, you could get a master's in pretty much anything, um, and you would be able to get your administrative certificate in the same thing. So they said, you should have done this in administration. And so uh, I said, I don't want to be a principal. But... I worked for a principal once upon a time, and about October, I decided, if this guy can be a principal, (laughs) I think I can do it with one hand tied (laughs) behind my brain. And so I began to think about an administrative (laughs) certificate, and so I ultimately settled on South Alabama. And so drove down two nights a week and went to school and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And in the second year, because I went on and did the AA certificate back in those days, which is the Ed Specialist degree now, and so I moved to Mobile. And that was a, another wild experience, but this was when Mobile had a, uh, a board that decided they needed to rid the system of a number of teachers based on the old national teachers Exam. And if you didn't meet that cutoff score, you were out. And so it created worlds of vacancies that they didn't have people to fill. And so I was sent to Baker High School to teach math, junior high math. Not a good fit. And long story short, I have to tell this, and you guys just stop me. When you say, we have to move on. Oh, okay.
1: But Dr.
2: Ed White was the area superintendent. Back in those days, Mobile County had divided. Dr. Abe Hammonds was superintendent. And he divided the system into four districts, if you will, and had a superintendent as such, or deputy superintendent, over each one of those areas. And Dr. Ed White, who had been in the system a long time, was over the area where I was. And one day, he and the principal came to my room, and I thought, oh, my word, I've only been here a month. I surely I'm not being fired today. <laughs> but, but I was struggling as a teacher, but I had to go home every night, prepare to teach math the next day. And so he, the principal said, Ms. Turner, I'm going to stay with your kids. Would you, Dr. White, wants to talk with you a moment? Sure. And he said, would you ever consider teaching sixth grade? Sure. And so what it was, they had a sixth grade vacancy out at Tanner Williams. And they had already been through three substitutes. And he said, I tell you what, this afternoon, if you can, go out and meet with the principal. And if the principal wants you and you want to go to Tanner Williams, consider yourself transferred. So anyway, within a week's time, I was teaching sixth grade at Tanner Williams. And it turned out to be a grand. Was I was the only thing. man on the hillside. Mm-hmm. Everybody there.
0: Well, Joe, a- that sounds yeah. a fam- like oh. a little familiar for you, isn't it? Yeah, I started <laughs> as
1: an elementary school teacher, and oh. it was it was just me, it was just me.
2: Well, and the the coach.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, P, coach.
1: but
2: yeah, I, I feel you. I get okay, it. <laughs> but, but it really was, and so <clears throat> I, I, I was a great fit for me, and so I taught there a year ultimately applied for what they had in Mobile at this, that time, which was a wonderful thing. It was called the Administrative Intern Program. And some of the greatest principals I've ever worked with were, were trained through that program in Mobile, and I applied. And um, they you know, hadn't made a decision, and ultimately I had to take a job. And so I went back to Washington County. A week later they call and offer me a position in that program. But I I had signed a contract, and I just couldn't do it. Ultimately became a principal of a K-12 school at Millery, which is in the north part Mm -hmm. of Washington County, which, again, turned out to be a wonderful opportunity. And, guys, I have to throw this in. When I met with the elementary faculty before school started, we were talking about the reading program. And I said, well, in this particular level, you can teach this and such or whatever. And, and I recall some of the faculty looking at me very strangely, and one finally said, Mr. Turner, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, y- you're talking as if you know this reading program. I said, well, I know parts of it. I taught in Mobile County and taught this program. You taught elementary school? Yes. You didn't coach anything? <laughs> no. Well, how did you get to be hired as a principal? I guess they made a mistake. But what it did was gave me a wonderful connection to that elementary faculty. Right. That in a tiny way, I had a connection to talk about reading. And, of course, I all quickly relied on the, the real professionals. But at least it got me in on a level with them that he knows a little bit about what we're doing. Absolutely.
0: As, as an elementary teacher, uh, I mean, that's appreciative that, that oh, he knows where we're coming from. Yeah. He's been there. So,
2: And I'd been principal at Millery probably six or seven years. And then I won't want all the long story of this, but a friend of mine told me, who was a, a lawyer I'd gone to college with, she said, if you're going to stay in education, you really need to work on a doctorate because you've got too many years left not to do that." And so she harassed me and harangued me every time I saw her about this. And so finally she said, okay, where do you want to go? And I, And I really, I said, I will... I'll stop her. I'll end this conversation. I said, Harvard. And she said, okay, now what you need to do. I said, wait a minute, Penny. You didn't hear what I said. Oh, yeah, I did. But you won't ever apply. I said, why do you say that? She said, because you can't take rejection. You're afraid if you apply, they'll turn you down, and you can't take that. I said, that is not true. She said, "Prove me wrong."
0: (laughs) She just she just twisted that right around. It took
2: three years for me to ever completely finally deal with.
0: She was she was a lawyer, right? She was. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) She had that figured out. And
2: so that truly is how all that came about. Was a little southern boy going off up there to Boston to Cambridge. But it was a wonderful experience, and and it helped me. And then from that, ultimately, I came back to my principalship for a year or so. Then was hired in Montgomery to be the executive director of what's now CLASS. It's the opposite of what AEA used to do for teachers. It's what uh, it's done for principals and superintendents and supervisors. And it it stands
0: for, it's an acronym, and we have a thing about acronyms that we have to because you know, education is like yeah. so slam full of acronyms. Oh, goodness,
2: it was. Council <laughs> for Leaders of Alabama Schools That's right. what I think that if I remember. That's correct. <laughs> and uh, that allowed me to travel all over the state, all 67 counties, and just meet so many wonderful people. And then ultimately married, moved back to Mobile, or moved back to Chatham, because my wife came back to take over her family's business, and... Um, Was looking for a job. I still had my job in Montgomery, and that was how I applied and was hired at South Alabama to teach with Dr. Joe Newman and some of those folks. Lost my mind, ran for, because it was an election, still is in many counties in our state, you have to run for. You have to actually conduct an election to be elected superintendent. And my punishment is I was elected. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I served as superintendent. And, then and that was uh,
0: in Washington County? In Washington
2: mm-hmm. County, yeah. And then went to Mobile after that. I didn't seek re-election. Uh, taught at Mobile for 10 years. And then my last stop was the president of the Alabama School of Math and Science down here in Mobile. But, um it's, it's been a ride, well, what, what lots of experiences. For real, it
0: is such an impressive list of leadership.
1: Well, you're it kind. absolutely is. And, you know, one of the things that, and this is just on a personal note, but I think that some of the best leaders are the ones who don't initially intend to be one, <laughs> but they look around and they see the need, mm-hmm. and they realize that that those kids need it. And so they step up to the plate, and I think that what you just described is, in my opinion, how some of the best leaders come about. And I'm I'm very impressed with with everything that that you've done. I mean, it's just like I was telling Julie, I was like, you're just you're not going to believe this guy and all the stuff he's done. And then, you know, and and so you and I had had a conversation over the phone, and and we'll get to that in just a minute because you're retired now, but you're not really retired, and. So I tell Julie, I'm like, yeah, he's, he's doing this now. And then you send in your Vita and I'm like, he went to, what? Harvard. He went to Harvard. I was like, what in the? Well, I was like every, I, I told Julie, it's like, you're an onion. And every time we peel back yes. another layer and it's just. Right.
0: And it isn't a hundred years in one spot, you know, you you've, well, you, you've changed, but yet you are still contributing in the same manner.
2: But I laugh and tell people when they bring up this Harvard thing, I'll think, well, I say that and probably a dollar and a quarter can get you a cup of coffee in Chatham, Alabama. (laughs) And that's probably about it. Our dean, I always remember this, of Dr. Graham, she always said, look, folks, this is a graduate school. You need to graduate and get out of here and go out into the world and change the world there. You're not going to do it here. And I always remember her challenge to us, go and make things better and a little different. I have to throw this in about kids. When I was in the job with class and traveled a lot, well, occasionally I would be somewhere and attend a school board meeting, even though the school board folks weren't my my group. But I'd met some of them, but the, but the superintendents were. Mm-hmm. And so a superintendent would say, hey, we're having a board meeting. Are you game? Oh, yeah. So anyway, I'll never forget in a, in a school system one night, and they were talking about buying toilet tissue. And one of the board members said, Well now I have to ask the question, is this quality? And you know, the purchasing agent who said, uh, pardon? He said, she said, look, we want the best for our kids. Is this stuff hypoallergenic and all? And I remember just sort of sitting there thinking, oh my word, these people are so concerned even about their kids. Their kids are number one and they'll tell you that. And they really are because they're number one in buying toilet tissue, <laughs> you know. So if they're so concerned about toilet tissue, do you think they really are concerned about the academic welfare of these kids? Right. You better believe right, it. Right, right. And I've never forgotten that night in that school board meeting just, wow, the kids. And and, I, and it does. It starts at the top and, and the leadership that is so critical. And I have to be careful because I'm really tough principles, because you show me a, a poor school, whether it's poor teaching, whether, whatever, and I'm going to show you a poor principle, because a good principle can make a bad school better. Because that woman or man sitting in that front office, they may not have tons of money, but they're hiring the very best people they can find and they're making decisions, and they're not afraid to go ask and do all sorts of different connections to get for their school. But you put a weak, lazy principal in a job, you just you sunk the school. So I'm hard on principals because they are the person, the man or woman, that makes that
0: difference. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And
1: I think... Um Part, part of this understanding from you also comes that you at South Alabama you were teaching some leadership. Were you teaching right, leadership courses? Right. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Mobile. You you were referencing the University of Mobile, so or what used to be uh, what they used to call Mobile College. Mobile College. Yeah. So you were in the College of Ed there as well, right? I was. Were you? Weren't you dean at some
2: point? At, at a point, <laughs> yes. Okay,
0: <so> <laughs> <laughs> we might be hours unpacking this this V tank. <laughs> But yeah. I, I de- definitely mentioned all of those high points. I mean, being the uh, executive director of class, that's that's really interesting. You know, like you said, you get to travel and meet. Yeah. You you, by being in that position, you met every superintendent, met a lot of people, every principal because they all belong to that. So,
2: well, it's so funny, Julie. We used to say I I would laugh and say to a person, if my car broke down anywhere in Alabama. I was no more than five to ten minutes away from someone I knew. And, and there's a lot of truth to that because right. I literally knew principal, superintendent, central office folks in every system in the state. And so regardless of where I was, mm-hmm. I was very close to someone. I could have picked up the phone and said, hey, I'm having car trouble come to me. Right. Well,
0: I, I would guess that any job you had, you probably would have known anybody <laughs> within 10 miles of you,
2: well, <laughs> regardless of the position. <laughs> I
0: have that feeling, don't you, Joe? Yeah. Well, it was, it,
2: was a, it was a great opportunity. And, and in some of the people, you know, back in the day I was there, Paul Hubbard was the power in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, mm-hmm. All that's changed now. But in those days, AEA ruled with an iron hand. Right. Whatever they wanted, that's what they got. And it wasn't just in education. They were powerful in many other avenues. And so Dr. Hubbard and I were sort of contemporaries. I was in meetings with mm-hmm. him all the time. Right. Sandra de DeGraffenreid, whose mm-hmm. husband at the time was the president of the Senate, she was the director of the School Board Association. So there were really some impressive people that I worked with and knew Uh, I look back on those days, and, and I remember in the early 90s, probably about 92, 93, Governor Hunt. Guy Hunt was governor, and he appointed a study commission to make some changes in education. And I always remember old Governor Hunt, he said there one time, he said, I can tell you what's wrong in education in this state. We have an administrator problem. Well, being paid by the administrators, I immediately thought, whoa, wait a minute here. What are you talking about? And some of my colleagues, we had a discussion, and they said, Larry, he he's he's right, because we've got some weak links out there as principals, as superintendents, and y'all gonna throw me out when I tell you this. I worry today that for whatever the reason, and I'm not close enough to know, but I am just gonna raise the question. I worry that we have lost some of the quality in principals and superintendents that we once had. From some of the stories I hear from friends of mine all around the state, and I don't fully understand or know. Now, I have a a wild idea on principals, and people would possibly disagree with me on this, but I'm going to throw it out there. Back, oh my goodness, I had left Montgomery, so I'm guessing it was probably in the early twenty to two thousand to two thousand ten, somewhere in that ballpark, I think's when this happened. Tenure was removed from, from principals. And when that all happened, of course the business community drove that because they said administrators, principals, are middle level executives, just like industry. No, no, that's not true. That's a totally different animals in every other way, starting with salary. These middle level executives make hundreds of thousands a year. Right. They have golden parachutes mm-hmm. principals do not. But I said then, I said we need to move very slowly about removing tenure. And this is what I think has happened. And I've had some principals that have finally said, "Larry, I disagreed with you when you first told me this, but you're right." Because what happened when a principal was hired back that I believe it was the 4th year, they were tenured. Well, you could only release them for cause it gave principals a little feeling of security that i can make some tough decisions now let's just be honest your t- your next contract is dependent upon the superintendent and the board giving you another contract let's say you anger that principal or that superintendent or some of those ward members are prominent people in the community you may not get a contract You're out of a job. Your age is such that, you know, I've got to have one more contract before I retire. I don't want to lose the salary. So I might just back off on this issue. Even though I believe it's good for kids, I better just be silent because I don't want to rock the boat because I may not get another contract. I've had principals say to me, I've been there. I know exactly where you're talking. Well, was getting rid of tenure such a great thing for principals? It took away an element of their security and being able to make tough decisions. So I, I don't know. That could be part of the reasoning in this. And, 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 guys, I've been told, and you may know, Joe, especially the answer to this. I need to have researched this before coming today. <laughs> but I've been told that, let's say five years ago, the State Department of Education in Montgomery was uh, awarding whatever the word would be, 5,000 certificates, teaching certificates a year. Now, three, 3,000, maybe a little more, not much more. Wow. I know for a fact, two years ago, half of the teachers in the Wilcox County school system, that's north of here, Camden's the county seat up there, Half of the teachers in Wilcox County were substitutes. And I don't mean degreed people just teaching out of field. No. I mean mom, dad, grandparents. Right. These are people
0: coming to the rescue. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, it'd be like putting Larry in there to teach uh, trig or chemistry. I mean, I can sort of monitor the kids, but I don't believe I could probably do much teaching. So how can we do anything to improve the educational level in Wilcox County or anywhere else where half of your teaching staff is a substitute? So I think possibly the lack of, of as many people going into administration or this sort of thing probably has been impacted by just the, but here I go again, we had a governor in Alabama Some years back, not many years ago, and I won't even say what he said. I was appalled. But he basically said in so many words that education in this state stinks. Wow. Governor, what are you saying? You have lumped everybody, every woman and man in this state that gives their heart, whether they're a school bus driver, a lunchroom worker, a janitor, a teacher, an administrator. Really? If you feel that, let's improve. Let's try to work to improve those that may not be doing their job. But there are people that give it all every day. 110%. Mm -hmm. And y'all, I feel so sorry for what has happened in the last year or two to the teachers and administrators and staffs that have had to go through what they're going through now to do whatever they can do to try to educate kids to the best of their level with all that's going on with the COVID and everything else, I mean, I don't know how they manage to stay positive. I really don't because it would have to get so stressful. And we have, we have talked
1: to a lot of people about that since this podcast has been up and running and looking at those different challenges and all of the things that have come out from this pandemic of New ways of trying to reach the kids, to engaging them, to making sure they have what they need so that they can even do any kind of schoolwork at home. Or mm-hmm. and now that um, a lot of them are coming back on campus, which you know could always. At the drop of the dime, they could have to go back remote
2: again.
0: Right. I appreciate your empathy. I know Did many you, teachers yeah. out there listening will appreciate that empathy. It was in
2: the news yesterday. I can't recall. I want to say it came out of some study group in, in Chicago, but it was in the news where it, it, was, it was a positive. Uh, their findings were that if schools do what they're supposed to, they go by what has been set forth by the health departments from the state level down that it, it will work, that the number of kids that will be have to be sent home or get COVID are greatly diminished in schools that follow the procedures. And I have a family member that's a principal in another part of the state. He has found that. He has 1,800 kids, and he's found that, that if you follow the directives, mm-hmm. they've had a minimal number of kids. And so that's the good news, I think. But still, just the stress that you're under of all these uh, different things you are having to follow, it it has to be tough on faculty every day uh, to do this. But now, I will share this. I do believe even when there's ever a time that COVID will diminish, subside, will be no more. I think it has changed education in our country forever. I personally believe, and I have some administrators that agree with me, there will henceforth always be a virtual component. I don't think we'll ever see a school system again that will totally be the old brick and mortar, everybody come to school. I don't think so, because I think there are parents out there that now will demand it might not be huge numbers, but I think there are enough parents who'll demand a virtual component that it will never leave us again, and that will change lots of things in how education is conducted. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that that is a change that will follow us beyond COVID.
0: I tend to agree.
1: Yeah, I think so. One of the things that that we've talked about before, I think, is you know prior to. COVID there were all of these technologies out there that were available but not not all teachers or not all school systems were taking advantage of them and when the pandemic hit and everything went remote teachers were forced to have to learn how to use this stuff and I mean it was a it, it was a game changer last spring mm-hmm. and and over the course of the spring and the summer teachers started learning how to use things and and the school systems decided which programs they were gonna implement for the fall and everything. And I I think once you get past that panic of having to rearrange everything and learn new things, you begin to see the value in some of those platforms that are out there and how they can help. Maybe they do help engage the students a little bit more. Maybe it does make it a little bit easier to assess learning and that kind of thing. So my thought was that those will be the things that will stay. And teachers will see the value in that, but then maybe other things uh, will fall to the wayside. But I, I agree with you. I think there will always be a, a virtual component, and I think that many of the platforms that have been used will will continue to be to be used.
0: Right. I think uh, Mobile County was well set up for virtual. We already had a virtual school, and we had a lot of the technologies available. So now I feel like some of the other areas in Alabama and, and well all over the country, We'll, we'll play some catch up with some money from the CARES Act and 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 get those technologies and be able to to blend what's needed. And I'm thinking, you know I, I, I really want my kids to be at school, but I know that there's kids there are kids that benefit from the virtual. So it, it's just gonna it's just gonna be a it was a learning 360. it wasn't a learning curve That's right.
1: <laughs> It was a learning <laughs>
0: 360. But now it's becoming that learning curve, and we're and we're moving towards, towards that future. So,
1: absolutely. So I, um, I was trying to think because I don't even think we we didn't even touch on all the jobs. We didn't touch on no. the, your last job before you retired, and then actually no. what you're doing. Yeah,
0: now. we yeah because we kind of jumped over to what's next in it already, which is great, and that's fine. But <sighs> you also said something you wanted to talk about a conversation or something that y'all were doing with him like something you work with him now i don't know maybe not but what's up with you now now what do you do are you gardening reading i I
2: actually say (laughs) sometimes i I sort of think i have a ball and chain holding me to my yard Uh we have a huge yard and i do spend a an an amazing amount of time in that yard there's always something and the storm has just exacerbated all the things as we had a really bad storm where i live um But um, I'm involved in a a lot of little community kinds of things and whatever. Um, uh, The the one thing that's interesting is uh, Governor Ivey must have had a a terrible moment and appointed me a couple of years ago to the Alabama Commission on Higher Education. That's been an interesting uh, thing. Um, We meet uh, four times a year regularly, and then there can be special call meetings. Of course, the last year, obviously, we've had Zoom meetings mm-hmm. like everybody else and, and whatever. But um, it, it's pretty regulated what the commission does and what our boundaries are. We we, we approve programs, uh, courses, any changes, any development of new courses. That's one of the major things that we do. We're heavily involved in the budgets to make recommendations to the legislature uh, about different campuses and what programs will be funded and how much the funding will be. The thing that's amazed me about the Commission on Higher Education is the staff and how much research they do. Uh, it is, it, it's just mind-boggling. Um, when they, they can project so many things and, and where our state is and where we are headed, um, some of it's alarming. If you really look at the statistics <clears throat> of the education level of our, of our folks, how we compare nationally, not very well, and what, what the future of jobs in our states should look like. So the commission does a variety of things, but, but it's been really uh, interesting. It's caused me to think about higher education in, in a lot of ways, too, Because I think there's some things in higher education that that needs to change. And, And I think it's going to, I think it's going to change regardless because even higher education and their virtual component, will higher education ever be the same again either? I mean, the fact that we've brought in all of these thousands, so many of our universities in Alabama have grown by leaps and bounds. And... All these kids typically, we're all products of going in classrooms, living in dorms or apartments, living the college life. Will that continue to be for the great majority of kids on a campus? I I think we're still to see what ultimately comes, but I think there it's going to be a, a much greater virtual presence on campuses, and it won't be like it once was for college campuses. And the thing there that's shocking is that so many college campuses fund a lot of their buildings on folks that live in dorms and buy meal tickets. There's probably a little built in there, I may be talking family secrets, but <laughs> to to help pay for some of these things. Well if you don't have the yeah. kids actually living on campus and eating meals, that amount of money's diminished. So there are lots of unanswered things coming for higher mm-hmm. ed as well that ultimately will impact all of us because a, a percent of college educate of colleges are funded by public tax dollar, so changes there too I think is coming.
0: So what changes? Like I know you said that the like any in particular that you want to share because we're talking about what's <laughs> next in ed. <laughs> I mean, what do you think should happen?
2: Okay, I'm troubled a little bit by some of the direction of the teaching that I think is going on on college campuses. Two little things I'll mention, and and this could just be Larry's philosophy. But let's just say, if I'm taking a college calculus course, what's my anticipation? My anticipation will be go to class, the professor for 50 minutes or ever how much time, they will teach – calculus. If I'm taking a chemistry class, they will teach chemistry. From my conversations with a lot of young folks that I know are in college today, in a variety of size campuses, that may not be the case because some professors tend to wander off into all sorts of other areas and things that have no direct connection to what they're supposed to be teaching. I think fearing that some legislator might decide they want to get into the middle of that, I think colleges are going to have to, in Alabama and other st- many other states, I think they're going to have to say to the, to the men and women that teach in their colleges, guys, no one's trying to interfere with your um, um, educational, or uh, the, the word escapes me, but, but your freedom to teach as you want to teach. your your content area, but that's what you need to be doing is teaching your content area. Your private life, your private beliefs, opinions, attitudes are, are not part of the classroom. And so because you just think about the right legislator could get a hold of that and have some lively sessions in Montgomery And I think, too, I think we've wandered away too much of campuses and and professors, their their evaluation. Uh, I hear stories all the time from kids telling me there are things on test they've never heard of. It's never been taught. It's not in the lecture notes, It's not in the textbook, never been taught, but yet they're being tested on those things. Well, coming out of education... I'm sure I'm a little bit more prone to think about that than others, but whatever come of testing a kid, what you've taught them. And I think we've wandered far astray on that topic as well. And there again, I think it leaves itself open to some um, less than happy discussions in Montgomery if the right individuals wanted to pursue that. Because I think it would be very difficult for college colleges to defend your professors. Here's examples of their tests. They're testing things that kids have never seen. How is that fair? So that's just a couple of little things that's sort of... That you but, see changing. That I see colleges are going to have to, uh, to deal with. And, and then I think, too, as things change in Washington and as the department... It's going to be real interesting to see what now the Department of Education does nationally and what emphasis they will... You know, it seems like the the Trump administration, you know, was very heavy on charter schools and these sort of things, and the funding was directed uh, toward that. And I think that probably will change. Mm-hmm. And so what will be the issues? What will be the emphasis coming out of Washington? And we're talking big bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so states will have no choice but to sort of get on board in many instances to get the funding from the feds to follow the directives coming out of the Department of Education. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to sort of determine is what's next is that's going to have a major impact oh, on education. Yeah.
0: I think that's a very good Absolutely. point. Mm.
2: Well,
1: Dr. Turner, thank you so much for being on the program with us I, today. I wish we could
0: go on. Thank you
1: for the invitation. I,
0: I, I, you know, maybe we can go to Chatham and get an uh-huh. episode two.
1: You know, our, our gear is pretty portable. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I need to travel.
1: Yeah, <laughs> even if it's just a, an hour up the road, huh?
2: We'll have a large banner when you uh, come into town, and it will say, welcome to Abu Dhabi South. Abu Dhabi South. <laughs> You're so funny. Well,
0: we surely have enjoyed this conversation and, and a lot of uh, interesting, interesting points.
1: Absolutely, a lot to think about. And your experience has, has given the opportunity to have so many different perspectives on things it's just it was wonderful getting to talk to you about it i, I knew it was going to be a great conversation we appreciate you coming in well thank you thank and you. thank those of you for listening and please be sure to join us next time as julie and i continue to explore what's, what's next, next in ed? Ed? don't forget to subscribe if you like what you heard please rate and review this podcast so others can find us the next in ed podcast is brought to you by the Mobile County Public Schools IT Department in partnership with the Department of Counseling and Instructional Sciences at the University of South Alabama engineered by Tim VP Media Production music by Justin Matthews hosted by Dr. Joe Gaston and Julie Neidhart follow us on Twitter at Next in Ed and on Facebook guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only They are not necessarily acting as official representatives for their schools, universities, organizations, or places of employment. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.